0: Welcome back to Driven Minds. My name is Gigi and this is a Type 7 podcast. So a small favor to ask all of you before we get this party started. Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening on. And if you like it, please consider give us a, uh, giving us a rating. It really does help us out and ensures that we can keep this machine well-oiled because it takes a village. So who hasn't once grabbed a hairbrush, pretended it was a microphone, stared deadpan into a mirror, sang like a virgin, and genuinely believed for a solid nanosecond or more that they were Madonna, only for your mother to knock on the door and shatter the dream. But imagine if this dream actually came to fruition before you turned 20. I'm personally always really fascinated by the lives of those who've hit this absurd level of fame so young. What is it actually like to be this hyper successful at such a young age? And what steps does one even take to get from your bedroom to the MTV Music Awards? And even when you're there, now you're riding high, what stresses drag you down? Because despite your newfound glory, like it or not, success creates its own set of issues. So today we're dissolving this pipe dream into reality and speaking with someone who knows this narrative well. His name is Golden Landis Von Jones, and you will know him as 24K Golden. He's a rapper and R&B artist who's racked up over a billion plays on Spotify and 7 million followers between TikTok and Instagram, all before he blew out the candles on his 21st birthday cake last weekend in Las Vegas. So Golden rose to fame with his song, Valentino, which went viral on the TikTok. But it was his song, Mood, and it's a legally catchy hook that catapulted him to the top of the Billboard Hot 100, where he held court for six weeks straight. If you haven't heard the song, listen to it the first time when you have two hours to spare because it will be on repeat. Here we go. First of all, happy 21st. I saw glimpses of you living it up in Vegas on Instagram stories, throwing some cash money in the air.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, still recovering.
0: I'm sure that was your first sip of alcohol you've ever had, too. First right?
1: ever. Crazy.
0: <laughs> what poison did you pick?
1: Tequila Reposado.
0: I've been there many a night.
1: Exactly.
0: So you're from San Francisco. Tell us a bit about your upbringing.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I was born in San Francisco, more specifically Lakeview. I have a mom and dad that really, really love me and Aww. me and my sister, and they sacrificed a lot.
0: How old's your sister?
1: It's about to be her birthday. She thinks she's about to turn 17.
0: Oh, what's her name? Sage. Beautiful name. How'd you get your name?
1: Oh, that's a cool story, actually. Give it to me. I was born in, in the year 2000, which oh is the year of the golden dragon. And
0: <laughs> wait, in, in like Chinese New Year? I'm also Year of the Dragon, by the way. Oh, perfect. Yeah. A few years behind you, but a Year of the Dragon nonetheless.
1: So I was born in the Year of the, of the Dragon, but this was a special dragon year because only once every 60 years, I believe, is the Golden Dragon. Oh. So growing up in San Francisco, we got a lot of Asian culture surrounding us. And my dad's co-workers were telling him like, yo, that's very lucky. That's really lucky. What are you going to name him? And he was like, I don't know. Maybe I should name him Golden or something. He talked to my mom about it. And my mom was very resistant at first. She was like, I don't know what if kids are going to make fun of him at school, call him Mm. Goldilocks, golden showers, all this other stuff. And my dad was like...
0: I love that her mind went there. Very hip mom. My mom has no idea what a golden shower is.
1: (laughs) Parents know more than we think. They just be playing dumb sometimes. It's
0: probably true. Oh, God. I hope my mom doesn't know what a golden shower is.
1: For your sake, I hope so, too. So boom. Right. My dad tells my mom she doesn't want to do it. She thinks I'm going to get made fun of. And my dad's like, all right, well, just think about it. You know, don't. We don't got to decide yet. You got a couple more months to eat pop. <laughs> so my dad likes to go drive by the beach sometimes and look at the water. And after work, he finds it calming. Yeah, and
0: as one spiritual. does.
1: Spiritual. And he went and drove by work that next day or shortly after that. And it was sunset. And he turned on the radio and the song The Golden Time of Day came on.
0: Signs.
1: And he's looking out over the water in the golden city, in the golden state, with the song The Golden Time of Day on. And once you know it, the sunset was a beautiful golden color.
0: Oh my god, it's all coming together.
1: It's too many signs to ignore, you know?
0: Totally, totally.
1: So he came back and he told my mom what what happened, and she was like, Well, you know, you can't turn a deaf ear to the universe. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's uh, let's run with that.
0: And were you made fun of in school for your name?
1: I think I made fun of like one time in like karate camp when I was like four or something like that. But that was about it.
0: So many people made fun of my name. My name is Gillian. My real name is mm-hmm. Gillian. And everyone would call me Gilligan. And it drove me up the fucking wall. And that's actually why, part of the reason why I changed my name to Gigi, that... And because no one said Gillian right, they'd call me Jillian.
1: That's real though. Like, I don't know. Your name is very special. And if your name gets tarnished, I can see how you'd be just like, like, uh, y'all don't even y'all don't even deserve to have me have this name. I'm totally. gonna go I'm gonna go change it up. Yeah. Maybe if y'all behave better you can have it back.
0: Yeah. What is your earliest memory around music?
1: My earliest memory is is music, which is crazy. Like when I asked my parents about this, they're like, I can't even believe you remember that. Like I might've been maybe two years old or three years old. And I distinctly remember like laying in bed and looking up cause there was like a window and it was nighttime and there was light kind of from the moon shining through the window. So I remember looking up at that window my mom on my right side and my dad on my left side and they're both singing in my ear in harmony, like stereo, stereo. My dad's voice is low. And my mom's voice is high.
0: What song is that?
1: It might be like an old Michael Jackson song or
0: All right. There's taste. There's like taste in your family.
1: But yeah, I just that's my earliest memory getting sung to.
0: And did that affect you in any discernible way that you can trace back? I think
1: that was just the start of being surrounded by music. Like there's this church in San Francisco called Glide Church. It's like come everyone is welcome. It's just about the music and The vibes and and, and a good message. And they would always have a huge music portion. My mom would always sing to me and play like everything, every type of music in the car. So I was always just taking it in, absorbing it.
0: So give me an idea of when the storm started brewing for you then. I mean, were you making up songs when you were in high school? Because you must have done something right in your teenage years for you to be this total sensation at such a young age.
1: I think it was, it was all around like sophomore, freshman year of high school, sophomore year of high school. Freshman year is when I started being like, all right, let me let me try this out because I'll just be kicking it with my friends and we just be bored. And mm-hmm. someone would be like, well, you want to throw on a, a YouTube beat and freestyle? So we just all be like four deep in somebody's parents car, just playing YouTube, Playboy Cardi type beats or whatever off the aux cord and just <laughs> going around taking turns freestyling over it. And we kept doing that every time we hung out. But me being me, I realized I was good at it and I didn't want to stop doing it. So every time we hang out, it turned into me like freestyling for like three hours. And they're like, bro, if you're going to do this, you might as well like go actually do it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So my real hype man was, is my big brother, Paperboy. He's this notorious community figure in my neighborhood, Lakeview. And he owns a sneaker store called Dream Team.
0: Colloquial big brother or actual big brother?
1: Not actual big brother, like just okay, like got it. Close the closest friend. thing to it, you know. So he he was like, "Yo, when are you gonna make a song? Like you should just make a song and drop it and get popping at your school." And he had a studio upstairs because he does music himself, and he just kind of made it a reality for me. And I remember dropping that first song the same night, putting it on SoundCloud, texting it to everybody at my school, and just being like, "Well, let's see how this goes."
0: Yeah, throw caution in the wind. Can you sing a verse from it?
1: If I still remember, this one is not even... It was like <laughs> the chorus one, like... My whole life I've been getting money. Being broke is a joke and I find that shit funny. I stack it all up like buck after buck. And dun-dun-dun, cause shit and ducks get plucked. So it, it was my, anyway. very much my my, you know, first song... We've gone a long way from there, but at the time it was like, oh, this is fire. Like this is the craziest thing ever. How old were you? I was probably fifteen.
0: Oh my God. And had you ever taken voice lessons or were you just owning it?
1: I wasn't even rapping at first or I wasn't even like really using melody as much at first. It was a <laughs> lot more just rap, rap kind of inflections rather than notes and pitch. But before when I was like in elementary school, I had done voice lessons for a couple months. Just on, like, some random shit. And then when I was in middle school, I did, uh, like, choir just because that was the art that all my friends were in. So I was just like, all right, well, let's just kick it with the homies. But I actually ended up, like, really liking it. So that was kind of foreshadowing into the melodies and the songwriting that was to come after that.
0: Totally. Were you the only one who liked choir?
1: Nah, like, we all, like, secretly liked it. I think we just didn't want (laughs) to act like we liked it a lot (laughs) because... (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't that cool to, oh, my
0: God, I love choir. <laughs> yeah, you don't hear many high schoolers rave about that extracurricular. So was there a song that blew up your world and made you think, OK, this is what I want to do with my life? At that
1: time, that was the beginning of the SoundCloud era, really. And I remember finding so many different artists. Like It, it was crazy because it felt like there was a new artist coming up every single day And some of these guys I would find with only a couple hundred followers or a couple thousand followers. And then, Mm -hmm. boom, a year later, six months later, they're going crazy on the underground. So I was like, man, if I can make better music than these guys, Mm. then I should be able to do the same thing. Like that kind of set me off and was just like, all right, if they can do it, I can do it.
0: So starting from 15, it sounds like you were pretty determined to make music your career then?
1: I didn't know it was going to be my career. It was more just something like, I'm doing this right now, so why not do it to the biggest capability I can? It wasn't until like probably my senior year of high school that I was really like, all right, this is what I want to do because it was college and I was applying and I was always good at school, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I had a lot more fun doing music and I knew that I'd probably enjoy that more than if I was... Uh, investment banker.
0: Was that your backup plan, investment banking?
1: That was my plan A, up until it really took off, up until I got to college, yeah.
0: So you said that in your senior year was when you realized that you wanted to do this a bit more professionally. Where did that turning point come from?
1: I don't know. I'm very much, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go do it, kind of guy.
0: Ignites the fire.
1: Yeah, and I just remember like, there was this dude that, uh, that we was in like the same friend group in high school or something. He was, we was like at a party after prom or something like that. And he was just like, yo, bro, like you're really smart. You should kind of just stick with the business thing and, uh, music thing. Like, I don't know, man. It's, that's cool, but like you're really smart. You should go do that. And I was like, mm. man, I'm about to show, I'm about to make your ass look so dumb. Like <laughs> let me show you what I could really do. Cause I just don't like being told what the, limits of my capabilities. I'd rather go find that out for myself.
0: You're laughing your way to the Billboard Hot 100. So joke's on him. Exactly. And it's like,
1: (laughs) this is really what I love, what I love to do. And I feel like if your work isn't what you love to do, then why do it?
0: So you get to USC, you have a full ride scholarship, or how did you end up going from a full-time student to everything that's happened?
1: So when I got my record deal, it was really in the first semester that they even started courting me and I knew that there was a chance I was going to sign.
0: How'd that happen? They just like called you or how'd they find you?
1: There was this blog site called DJ Booth, right? They write articles just on music, hip hop, opinion pieces, stuff like that. And maybe four years ago, 2017, 2018, there was an article that came out about the the stigma of being a SoundCloud. Rapper, Right. Mm. Because back at that time, if everyone in their mom had a song on SoundCloud and it was just like, oh, you're not taking this seriously, like SoundCloud rapper was like a derogatory term. And basically what the article said was like, yo, don't judge people on the platform they put their music on, judge people on if it's actually fire. Yeah. So the the writer was like, if there's any of you so-called SoundCloud rappers out there, send me your music and I'll listen to at least 40 seconds. So I saw that, I Instagrammed him, I, I DM'd him, I sent him a DM on Twitter, I emailed him.
0: Oh my God. I was like,
1: I need him to hear that. So boom, sent him the songs, kind of forget about it. Two weeks later, he posted a follow-up to that article. It's talking about like, hey, I listened to these SoundCloud rappers. Here's what I thought. And he just spoke really, really, really highly of, of my music. And uh, I guess this producer, DA Got That Dope, ended up seeing it. And he was just coming up off of taste in a major way.
0: What's this guy's name, by the way?
1: DA Got That Dope. So when he showed the label Valentino, Unreleased, and a couple other songs I have, they were like, oh, fuck, you're right. This kid is good. And I remember walking out of the class one day to my friend's dorm and getting a call from this random New York number. I didn't even know anybody in New York at that time. <laughs> and they were like, hey, I want to sign you. And it was Barry Weiss, the head of my, my label right now.
0: That's insane. He's also really iconic, didn't he? Start like Britney Spears and In Sync.
1: Yeah, Britney, Chris Brown, I think In Sync, for the Shaq album. Oh my albums.
0: god! Did you have a hernia? What happened? What was your? Well, response? I didn't know.
1: I didn't know shit about shit back then. So I was like, <laughs> "Who's this old white dude just trying <laughs> to give me to sign some contract and talking about I'm gonna be here on Monday." I was like, I don't know about this, bro, but let's, let's talk it out, you know, and figure it out. I had them fly me to New York so I could meet the people that I was actually going to be working with and get a free trip to New York too, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I was still 17 during this whole time because I'm born in November, you know? So we, we talked it out, we were figuring out the deal. And a couple of days after my 18th birthday, I signed and that was during winter break. Now, Picture this, I'm going back to school and it's January and I'm like, all right, I'm trying to keep it normal. I'm trying to be as normal as possible and, and, and figure this out. And boom, one day a hundred thousand dollars hits my account and it's midterms and I'm like Oh my fuck god fuck being normal. I'm gonna be a rapper. <laughs> like I ain't trying to do all these midterms and shit.
0: Fuck bio. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right. It, was, it was actually a class. <laughs> it was actually a class that I liked that I was in. It was like a business class, and I just finished my midterms and found out later that I still got to be on it. Went to went to my friend's dorm room, did like a, a seedy, dirty bong rip, and then I went <laughs> to my my next class, and uh, which was like I'm very active in classroom discussions.
0: I also was. I can see it for you.
1: I, I know you definitely always got 100 out of 100 on your participation points, right?
0: <laughs> I did. It was the only thing I got 100 out of 100 on, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, boom, you know, my, my teacher kind of leans on me to be that that light for the classroom, you know? I didn't normally smoke before class, but that day I was just feeling like, fuck it. Yeah. And, and that too. day was the day that my teacher was really, really leaning on me, like, I realized if I wasn't talking, nobody in the class is talking at all. So she kept being like, Golden, do you have anything to add to this? Do you have anything to say? And I'm just like trying to look at Grail on my computer and like not pay attention at all. And and she keeps getting mad at me for like being off the assignment. And I'm just like, I'm not even going to be here in a couple of years. Like, you know what? I got an emergency. (laughs) I need to go. And by the way, I won't be here next week. And then I never showed up to any of my
0: classes ever again. Okay, so break this down for me. You you got signed, you saw the money hit the bank account, and you walked out of school. But how did you know that your career would start immediately?
1: I didn't. I think it was kind of more like...
0: <laughs> Preemptive.
1: I had enough money to sustain myself outside of the scholarship, basically. So that was my whole thing. Like, I'm going to stay in school until I can afford to not... And yeah. once I could, I was just like, all right, let me see what it's like to really put 110% behind my passion. And things didn't happen so immediately. I left school in the beginning of 2019. And my first song, Valentino, didn't blow up until maybe seven or eight months later. So it was like a weird kind of walkie period in between trying to figure it out and is this going to work? Did I make it? My best song at the time, Valentino, wasn't doing anything. So does that mean it's I suck at mm. making music? I don't know. Right.
0: How do you feel during that interim period when Valentino was not at the speed that it's at now, which is 326 million plays on Spotify, which, yeah. by the way, Golden, is the same as Rihanna's Disturbia. I'll,
1: I'll take that. Wow. That's an interesting fact. I didn't know that. Your research team is uh is doing overtime, huh?
0: You're looking at the research team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, before when it was in this that kind of early phase, it was stressful because I guess my generation especially, we're very used to instant gratification. You know? Mm. If you do something that's good enough, you're gonna instantly get all the rewards and all the benefits and all the effects of it. Yeah. Because so many things in our life is instant. You know, we get instant validation from Instagram. We get instant communication with FaceTime. Like there's so much things that you can just get it whenever you want. Yeah. But music is not like that. Building your career. Some things in this in this world are not fully general Zed out yet. So
0: <laughs> we'll catch up. I promise.
1: So it, it took a lot of patience and it was stressful for me, too, because for the first time in my life, my future and my life was not completely only in my hands or my family's hands. Like I'm trusting practically people that are strangers to Mm -hmm. make the right moves and act on my behalf so that I get the opportunity to do what I want. And before I was used to, I make the cover art for all my songs. I pick which songs come Mm -hmm. out. I pick when they come out. I pick how they come out, the marketing, all this. And I'm like, well, shit, it's not really doing anything crazy. Like we're not getting any playlists and, I didn't really understand the hierarchies within the label at the time and how all the politics... What
0: label were you signed to?
1: I'm with Records and Columbia, so...
0: Got it. Mega.
1: Yeah, it was it was a cool deal because I got the attention of the smaller team. But yeah. when songs do blow up, like Valentino or City of Angels or Mood, then we get this whole big machine to kind of mobilize and push it. But when nothing's happening and your song is only getting... 40,000 plays, you know, 100,000 plays, which still was great for me at the time, but not as big as everyone thought it was going to be. It's it's hard because no one wants to give attention to... People want to give their time and attention to what's working already, not mm-hmm. on making something that's not working work.
0: So did you ever want to give up during that time?
1: No, nah, at that point, I was still like, like, no matter what happened, we, we still don't make this shit shake. And the funny thing is, as much as I, I wish I could say I did something for Valentino... Valentino was the only song that I didn't do anything and it blew up. Like it was this girl in Michigan named Aviva Sophia. She dressed up as like a little like cosplay Halloween, like sexy nurse costume or whatever, and made this little dance. And this was the very, very early days of TikTok. Mm. So if you gotta dance with your song on TikTok, you're out of here. Ciao. So boom, she did the dance and it kind of just spiraled and just kind of went and kept going, kept going, kept going. And that was how I got my, my first hit.
0: Wild. So was that a huge turning point for you? Was Valentino the song where you're like, okay, this shit is working?
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I, I actually can do this. And it was also confusing, too, because I thought, all right, if once I get this song, like the label is going to be eating out my palm, my hand. I'm going to be able to do whatever I want, get whatever feature get crazy music videos and it was kind of like well you you only got one so right now when you only have one hit you're a one hit wonder until proven otherwise right so my whole thing was i want to be a fucking one hit wonder like i don't want that to be my whole legacy so then that created like new stress because i was like i need to make another hit asap or else this might be it
0: well, you did, and that was "Mood," which spent two months in the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. When you made it, did you know that you had a a jam?
1: I knew it was going to be a big song, but I didn't know it was going to be that big.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I have um, all the millennials are very into "Mood" as well. I'll speak on behalf of. Of all of us. The
1: representative of them, yeah.
0: My friends all called it very snackable. Like it is. It's, it's just, it's so fucking catchy. It's a song that you play once and then you need to listen to it 25 more times immediately. Otherwise, like your head's going to explode.
1: <laughs> that's, what the, that's what a billion comes from, from earworming your way into people's hearts.
0: Can you give us the cliff notes of how Mood came to be?
1: Beginning of the pandemic, we're bored out of our minds. None of us live with our parents, so we're like, oh, fuck it. If we get COVID, it's fine. Let's just all hang out within mm-hmm. our small, isolated group.
0: Were you living in L.A.?
1: Yeah, we got an Airbnb in Hollywood. So me and Ian were playing Call of Duty. You know, we're just chilling. BZ and Omer, they're, like, in the back, like, looking at beach and stuff like that. And Omer pulls one of Ian's guitars out and just starts playing while me and Ian are playing Call of Duty. And not even thinking about it, I just start singing, Why are you always in the mood? na, uh, na, nah, nah, nah.
0: Wild. Yeah.
1: And Omar's like, yo, that's fire. Like, go record that right now. Go record that. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I record, I write the hook in like 10 minutes, record that. Ian goes and does his verse. I go do my verse. And then we can just kind of step back like, damn, did that really happen? Like, that's fire.
0: Oh and, my God. Hang out with these kids more. They've got yeah. songs for days.
1: Right? And that, that was kind of the process of the, the whole album, El Dorado and everything after that too, just hanging out, making music.
0: How long did it take for the song to take off?
1: I mean, we dropped the song in August, the video in September, and I think it went number one in November or October.
0: So you've, on top of Valentino, set the bar insanely high for yourself. I mean, (sighs) does your own success fuel you or intimidate you?
1: I feel like before it used to be more fuel, and now it's just more like, Oh stop! Why am I? Why does things keep going well? Like, am I going <laughs> to be able to maintain this? I don't know what's going on. A little bit really? of like imposter syndrome, but I don't know. It's a, it's a duality because at the same time I know this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and that those voices that are telling you that you can't do that, those aren't the ones to listen to.
0: You mentioned imposter syndrome. In what way does that manifest for you, thought wise?
1: I think it's just more like anxieties and, like, putting unnecessary pressure on myself. Like, I don't know. Imposter syndrome is where you just feel like, did I really do this? Is Am I supposed to be here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, you know. Why me? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's weird because I used to have, like, delusional confidence, like, <laughs> before any success. I was just like, I'm shit. Like, I, I already know what's about to go down. But then once I actually did what I said I was going to do, it was like, was I actually supposed to do that?
0: So in what way was your confidence compromised by your success then? I totally get it, by the way. Like when a podcast episode exceeds the number of hits and plays, and I'm obviously not hitting near your numbers, but still it is a lot for me having just started this thing. I'll be yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like who the fuck are these people? Why are they listening? I have to top that now.
1: Yeah, that's really what it is. It feels like I was a like a really strong, healthy fish in a pond that suited me well, I had control over my domain. And yeah. one day, you know, the the aquarium attendant they just kind of took me in, threw me in with the big dogs, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, this is you're too big for that little pond over there now." But I'm also at the same time not the biggest in this new mm-hmm. environment, not the most familiar with this new environment, not the most well adjusted. So that was kind of like, I guess where the uneasiness came from because it was new surroundings, new experiences. I was playing by a new set of rules Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I'm just still trying to learn the rules of the game right now.
0: And how does it feel to be swimming in this shark-fueled pond? And not necessarily shark, like everyone's out to get you. I mean, I know Justin Bieber remixed your song with J Balvin. I mean, that's pretty... I mean, talk about a pat on the back.
1: Sometimes it's... It's great. And there are those incredible experiences, valuable connections and relationships that I've made with fellow artists and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's also those kind of anxieties and those fears and that like Mm -hmm. unknown that's always that's always looming because it's like you never know what's going to happen next.
0: And when did Justin Bieber call you or did this remix that he made just show up on Spotify one day?
1: Nah, I mean, I had been talking to Scooter before, like about (laughs) just other things in general a while ago. And he texted me after we haven't talked in a long time, like, yo, congratulations on Mood. And I was like, thank you. Justin Bieber remix, winky face. And he was like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And boom, like two weeks later, he sends me a text message and it says JB Mood. And I listened to it and I started like flipping because even though like, you know, in fifth grade, every every boy pretended like they didn't fuck with Justin Bieber because it was, because all the girls liked him and we were just, mm-hmm. we, didn't know, we, we couldn't compete. You know, I, I got a lot of respect and admiration for that man. So to have somebody that I looked up to as a, a young man, as a kid growing up, to be on a song with them, that was really just like a really full circle, beautiful moment.
0: Did you ever talk to Justin at all?
1: I saw him at the VMAs recently, and he's a nice dude, man. He was shaking, like, literally everyone's hands. I was like, oh, he doesn't even have to do that. But we chopped it up, he was cool.
0: Yeah, he is a really nice man. He actually saved my friend's life because she was being physically abused by this drunk guy at a party. Yeah. And he swooped in, beat the guy up, or at least got him off of my friend.
1: Damn. I didn't even know that. That's, I don't, I don't know if anyone knows that. That's fine.
0: What has been the biggest hurdle or obstacle so far that you've faced in your career?
1: I think after Mood came out, it was definitely a, a, a really difficult and like just dark period because of all those pressures that we were talking about before and those expectations and that just negative introspection, overthinking, anxieties, and stuff like that. And I kind of felt like I had uh, dug myself into like, like just wanting to isolate myself and just not even deal with all the stuff that was coming up just because it was too difficult. But I feel like I I worked through that. And I'm there was purposeful things and efforts I made to kind of like, get back to my regular happy self.
0: What efforts did you make?
1: I don't know for everybody. But for me, like, I actually had to, I had to put an effort to be happy. Like, I had to force myself to go to bed at this time. I had to force myself to wake up early and, and you know, say a prayers and write down whatever mm-hmm. came to my mind, you know, like journaling. I had to force myself to work out consistently and eat right and force myself to just keep going and start doing things for me rather than only doing things for other people.
0: Amen. Did you enjoy the success of Mood at all? Like, were you able to do that despite the anxiety and the pressure that came with it?
1: I mean, I did. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it wasn't a a global pandemic.
0: Oh, my God. Fuck. That's right.
1: Right. Because if it was if it was a regular year, I would have been going all across the world, doing all these festivals and stuff like that. And now I'm kind of getting those things as back pay right now, it feels like. But still, it's not the same as doing it when your song is white hot. You know,
0: are you afraid that you won't? Make another song that is as sensational as Mude?
1: Mm, at this point I don't really like care, I guess, because mm-hmm. I I did that without trying in that moment when I was making the song, thinking like this is gonna has to be a number one, this has to be da da da. It was more just like having fun and making music with my friends. So I figured if it can happen like that one way, right, it's probably not gonna happen for me putting all this unnecessary pressure on myself and Weight on my shoulders. I should probably just try to keep having fun with my friends and making music, and we'll see what happens. But right after Mood came out, it, it took me a while to get to that perspective and that line of thought. Like after Mood came out, I thought every song that I was going to drop had to be that big, or else it was a failure. Mm.
0: And how did it feel when you did make a song that wasn't as gargantuan as Mood?
1: I mean, I don't know. It was it was it was weird because I like. The song that came out right after that, Coco, for example, it's got about 100 million streams on Spotify. And if you had told me two years ago, hey, you're going to have a song with 100 million streams, I would have been like, oh shit, like that's crazy. Yeah, you lost your
0: socks. Yeah, totally.
1: But but now like a song with 100 million streams doesn't feel as special or as noteworthy once you have a song with a billion streams. I got to be grateful for what is coming my way and what does happen.
0: You mentioned anxiety. How does that manifest for you?
1: Yeah, I think it was probably, like, before that, too, just having to grow up. I don't know, because when when I was a kid, I never had depression. I never really felt anxiety like that. Like, I had a really great overall childhood. When I started feeling those things, I was, it felt weird, because it was like, why am I 18 years old, 19 years old, feeling new feelings for the first time? Like, I thought I kind of... Did that all like yeah. i thought I thought I did the tutorial already, like we already figured out what everything was, and I don't know sometimes it would be like like you know, I gotta go to this party and I know there's gonna be like big people there, and am i what am I gonna say something dumb what do i what do I do in that situation? Sometimes it's like, well, fuck, no one is communicating, I don't even know what's going on in my own career like
0: mm-hmm. and
1: am I good or is everything good? Yeah, that's it. Was and it was just all these different things. Then you got your personal life. You got people asking you for things all the time. I'm on tour, and everybody's calling me to fix their problems, and it's just like spreading myself too thin and stuff like that. That's why I really, uh, why I really dealt with those kind of troubles.
0: So how does it manifest for you?
1: Yeah, probably like overthinking at night, mm-hmm. you know, or just feeling like this general sense of like unease.
0: Hmm. Oh my God, preach. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting that anxiety gets the worst when things go well in your life?
1: I never thought of that before. Yeah, you're right. I think I think anxiety really just comes from the roller coaster of it. Like It's just a symptom mm-hmm. of having to experience those constant highs and lows. Every day you don't know like, well, what kind of day is... It? Is, is today going to be a good day? Is today going to be a bad day? Whatever. But I think that what's helped me is just kind of like zooming out a little bit and realizing like whether... Everything goes 100% right or everything goes 100% wrong today. At the end of the day, I'm still 21 years old with more money than I I thought I was going to make. I've had Mm -hmm. a bigger impact than I ever knew was possible. Like my Mm -hmm. family's all healthy and good. So it's like just being grateful and reminding yourself of the things that are working out.
0: In our pre-interview, you mentioned that you were making more money than your family. What kind of burden does that come with?
1: Honestly, my family has been very, very, very helpful and respectful and, like, supportive of me in my career and stuff like that. Because since I paid my own way for college, like, I've always tried to keep the financial burden on them, like, as low as possible. It's
0: incredible.
1: I don't don't come from a lot of money. So my parents realized that, like, hey, this kid worked really hard to get where he is. So we don't want to just be the parents that come in and, like, ask for all this stuff off the rip and I wanna give my parents the world because they gave me the world. Mm-hmm. But they're literally my mom will literally be like, no, don't like I won't I will refuse this. Like like I kinda have to like Aww. force them to let me share the blessings with them. And my sister's still in school and stuff like that, so it makes sense for them to be in the bay. But when she graduates, I really want to move them out to LA and buy a house for them.
0: I'm sure they I'm sure they love hearing that. I mean, what a what a good son. I feel like you're the son that every parent wants.
1: <laughs> my parents raised me right. That's what I'll say.
0: Well, right now, your star is burning bright. The wind is in your sails. The New York Times is running profile pieces on you. What is next for you?
1: I just want to keep making more music. I really want to just refine down my message of what, what am I making this music for? What is my message? What am I trying to say?
0: What drives you?
1: Hmm. That one kid that said I should stick to business when I was in high school. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that would have
0: been a good answer, by the way. No,
1: no, I'm not that spiteful. <laughs> like, I, I really don't give a fuck anymore. Like, But yeah. I don't know, man. I think it's just like, I don't like to leave things half finished. So at this point, I love making music. It's an opportunity to really change the world in any way that I want. So I might as well just stick it out, you know, doing it for the family, doing it for my future children that are unborn. I don't know. I feel this is what I want to do. This is what I have to do. I feel like if I don't do this, I won't know what else to do.
0: That, my friends, was 24K Golden. You can follow him at 24K Golden on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And there's no E in that. It's just golden. And me at Gillian Siganski on Instagram and Twitter as well. I will likely never be on TikTok because I cannot dance. I always want to hear what you think of this episode and all the episodes, your comments, questions, concerns, who you want to hear from next, any feelings you have about anything, all the things. Also, to hammer this in one more time, because you can never go too deep with this Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating if you want to. In the meantime, I will be playing Call of Duty and waiting for inspiration to strike. Until next time.